Many of them die. When they die, they stop pushing air. When they die, they do not search for things anymore. This is Jim Fallon, Director of Project Narrative at The Ohio State University. And I'd like to welcome you to the Project Narrative podcast. In each episode, a narrative theorist selects a short narrative to read and discuss with me or another host. Today, I'll be talking with Marco Caracciolo, who has selected Charles Yu's 2020 story, Systems, for our discussion. Yu's story was commissioned by the New York Times as part of a collection that's published under the title, The Decameron Project, 29 New Stories from the Pandemic. Marco Caracciolo is Associate Professor of English and Literary Theory at the University of Ghent in Belgium, and he currently serves as the second vice president of the International Society for the Study of Narrative. Marco is the author of numerous books that collectively explore a wide range of individual narratives and issues in narrative theory, as their titles suggest. The books include The Experientiality of Narrative and an Activist Approach, Strange Narrators in Contemporary Fiction, Explorations and Readers' Engagement with Characters, A Passion for Specificity, Confronting Inner Experience in Literature and Science, co-authored with psychologist Russell Holbert, With Bodies, Narrative Theory and Embodied Cognition, co-authored with Karen Kukkonen, Narrating the Mesh, Form and Story in the Anthropocene, and Slow Narrative and Non-Human Materialities. Marco, is there anything you'd especially like our listeners to pay attention to as you read Yu's story? First, thanks so much for the invitation, Jim. It's a pleasure to be here to discuss this story with you. Two things I'd like to highlight. First, what is perhaps an unavoidable question given the text? Who is narrating it? Who is the narrator? Without giving away too much, there are two options here, at least that I could think of. Or perhaps a third option, we could say the story is vague by design. In any case, I think it's worth paying attention to the narrator's identity and how it's textually constructed. Second, I'm interested in the emotional arc that is created by the story and also in the ethical position that underlies that arc, particularly with regard to the impact of the pandemic on human societies. Okay, terrific. Yeah, and we'll get into those issues more after you read the story. Sure. So now here's Marco Caracciolo reading Systems by Charles Yu. They need each other, like to be around each other, like to touch each other. They search for things. Harry and Meghan, Harry and Meghan Canada, New Year's resolutions, New Year's resolutions, how long? They like being with their families. They like being with their with strangers. They work in small spaces, crowd into boxes, push the air around, sleep in boxes, need each other, touch each other. They move around the world, everywhere in the world, like us. They search for things. Harry and William, Meghan and Kate, Meghan and Kate feud, NFC playoff picture. They ask themselves, should I be afraid? How afraid should I be? They ask themselves, what is coronavirus? Coronavirus, what is it? Oscar party ideas, state of the union, state of the union, what time? Super Bowl odds, bean dip very spicy, bean dip not so spicy. They ask themselves if they should be afraid. 
but they already are. They have patterns, weekends, summer plans. They have ways of doing things. They don't see how they can give those up. They have weaknesses. They need each other, like being around each other. They make noises, open their mouths and push the air around and make noises at each other. Ha 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 is a noise. Thank you is a noise. Did you see the thing about Meghan and Harry is a noise. They have systems. Systems have pressure, pressure to grow, make more things, more and more and more. They go in the air, boxes, and in those boxes are smaller boxes and smaller boxes, and many of them crawl inside a box and sit there and share the air. Their movements seem random at first, but study their movements and it becomes clear that the systems have patterns. Sunlight brings them out of their small boxes. They move together in streams, massive streams, sometimes traveling quite far from their home boxes to hubs or centers where they collect in large boxes, streams on the ground, they're also capable of airborne travel. They sort themselves and divide their work up. The work is to make more, more and more and more. All day long, they break off in groups, then reform new groups. Air is pushed. There is touching. In the moonlight, they stream back to their boxes or to other boxes. When it gets warmer, they spend less time in boxes. When it is colder, they heat up their boxes. They follow cycles of earth and moon and sun. Most of them live for many cycles. They search for things. First date ideas, tapas bars, tapas downtown, Wuhan, Wuhan where, sushi near me, how to tell if he's interested, how to tell if she's interested. Good first date, how to tell, second date ideas, Italy, Lombardy, Italy, Chinese virus, Trump Chinese virus, coronavirus versus flu, COVID not that bad. They search for things. Why do some people say coronavirus not that bad? News sources trustworthy, Fauci, Fauci credentials, Fauci face palm gif, Fauci handsome, Fauci married. They divide themselves into groups. They say some of us are them and some of us are us. They do not always tell the truth. They spread things on their own more and more and more. They ask themselves, who invented coronavirus? WHO invented coronavirus. They search for things, governor, lockdown. They change their patterns. They search for how long is six feet? They ask themselves, Zoom, what is it? How to use Zoom, school grades, do my grades count? They search, they look for patterns, they gather data. They look for patterns in the data and then they do something unexpected. They change their own patterns. No more streaming to large boxes. The hubs are empty, the streams are gone, the airborne migration is gone. They stay still in small boxes. They ask themselves, affordable Chromebooks, does Zoom cost money? Bored kid, activities for bored kid, teacher thank yous, teacher appreciation, green onions grow, green onions grow how fast, quadratic formula, sine, cosine, tangent, how to be hopeful for kids, how to seem hopeful for kids, lockdown how much longer, what to say to kids. Their older ones sit alone in boxes, staring at smaller boxes. Their older ones have trouble with air. They find patterns, but some of them need to find more patterns, showing the results for coronavirus, search instead for coronavirus conspiracy. 
they ask themselves how to cut hair, how to fix kids' haircut, hats for kids. The younger ones search, interview with astronaut, museum virtual tour, when does my school start again? Thing versus Hulk, who wins? Hulk versus Thor, no hammer, who wins? Hulk and Thing versus Thor, drunk, who wins? Coronavirus real, coronavirus kids, Mother's Day ideas, gifts for your mom, gifts to make for your mom with no money. All the Spider-Mans versus Hulk, who wins? They need each other, like each other. They miss each other. They ask themselves, can cats get depressed? They search for food bank donation, food bank near me. What is a pandemic? What is furlough? How to keep kids safe? How to keep older people safe? How old is old? Am I old? What is, how to, is it okay? Can I? Numbers, numbers up, numbers growing. How long before symptoms of coronavirus? Is there a vaccine for coronavirus? How do I avoid coronavirus? How did coronavirus start? Is virus getting worse? What is mental health? How can I tell if I'm depressed? What is safest takeout? They search for stop payment indicator. What does stop payment indicator mean for unemployment? Unemployment office number? When do we open up Lexington? When are we reopening Flint? When can we reopen Bowling Green? When it gets warmer, they change their patterns again. They are temperature sensitive and they spend less time in their boxes. Many of them die. When they die, they stop pushing air. When they die, they do not search for things anymore. The weather changes and their patterns change again. Staying still in boxes for many cycles, they begin to emerge. Some of them are hungry. Some of them are hungry. They restart the system. Slowly, the streams resume. The pressure builds more and more and more. They make food. Some of them have too much food. Some of them share food with others. Some of them line up for food. They search for things. Cat still depressed? Are we in a bear market? What is a bear market? What is a payroll tax cut? What is martial law? How do I shelter in place? Safest cities to live? What is considered a fever? What is considered a dry cough? What is considered essential? What is open right now? What is martial law? How to make, make hand sanitizer? How to sew a face mask? Shirt as mask? Underwear as mask? What is N95? How to break a fever? Living alone? What if I'm alone? They have subgroups. The subgroups are virtually indistinguishable genetically. They have invisible signals that help members of one subgroup identify fellow members. They divide themselves. They say, some of us are us and some of us are them. They have weaknesses. Some of them are aggressive. Some of them are confused. Some of them have short memories. Some of them cannot change the patterns. They have systems, systems of air, of information, of ideas. Some of them enjoy breathing as they write. Some of them can't breathe. Some of them send signals with incorrect information about the environment. Misinformation spreads quickly through the population. Misinformation can be transmitted through the mouth or eyes. These signals confuse some of them. Others of them study us. They know what we are. Not quite alive, invisible, information. They have invisible signals. They talk to each other. They push air. They need each other, like each other, miss each other, think about each other. They harness invisible forces, electromagnetism, light. They are like us. 
They have codes, codes of symbolic sequences. They encode information and spread it. They can be in small boxes and signal to each other in codes and coordinate their actions. They can be one and many and one somehow. They have particles, they have transmission, they have mag magical powers. They can communicate across time and space. They have science. They know approximately 8% of the human genome is viral DNA. They know we will never be apart. There are no subgroups. There is no us and them. They search for things. Where is protest? Safe to protest? How to protest? They realize community is how it spreads. Community is how it is solved. They will keep going. Emerge from their boxes and boxes and boxes into sunlight. Cycles resuming. They will transmit messages to each other. Some of them will be confused. Some of them will share food. They will make more and more and more. Some of them will die. Some of them will be hungry. Some of them will be alone. The systems will be systems, but some of them may change the systems, rebuild them, make new patterns. They will fly again, collect again in hubs, gather by the thousands and push air at each other. Ha 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 and other noises they make to each other to signal invisible things. Some things will not change. They will need each other, like each other, miss each other. They will have weaknesses and strengths. They ask themselves, Harry and Meghan, what now? Harry and Meghan, what next? Okay, Marco, great. There's a lot to get into there. Yes, um, for sure. But why don't we start with the narration, then go back to the question you flagged. So who is telling? Who's our narrator here? And what are some of the options, you think? And, and right. who, who might the narratee be then? Mm-hmm. My first impulse was to read the narrator as something like a sentient search engine, an AI mm -hmm. that can read and extract patterns from people's search history. So something like ChatGPT, but directly plugged into the internet, which is what AI experts have been warning us against for <laughs> a long right. time. Yeah. But I think on a closer look, there are elements that don't fully square with, with that reading. Okay. Uh, a sense of self-awareness. Yeah. Uh, not just individually, but also as part of a collective. Yeah. And I think this is something that emerges in a passage that I didn't pay a lot of attention to initially, but it is quite striking when the narrator says, others of them study us. Right. They know what we are, not quite alive, invisible right. information. So the narrator seems to refer to other AIs, other entities like the narrator, but it's quite unclear what this really yeah. means. And also there's this, in the same passage, there's a reference to the fact that the narrator and other entities like it can move around the world, which is a strange way of describing how artificial intelligence right. works. So that seems to challenge that reading a bit and maybe lend credence to the other hypothesis, which is the fact that the narrator might be the virus itself right. or... Okay. Yeah. An assemblage of, of viruses, the coronavirus. Right, right. That, yeah, so right. Inv not quite alive, invisible, able to move around the world. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And then the us, right? So it's a, a narrator talking to other viruses in that sense. Is that? Yeah. Right? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Okay. But I think, I think this is deliberately uncertain and ambiguous okay. and the narrator seems to have some 
AI like traits and some virus like traits. So yeah. there is space right. for right. multiple readings here, which I think is is deliberate. Yeah, and I mean, just going back to what you said about, you know, some of the things that the narrator is able to do, you know, it, it, there's definitely the plugging into the internet, but there's yeah. also this knowledge of people, right? There's judgments about, okay, they have weaknesses, they have strengths, you know, this kind of thing. So that also creates a kind of interesting perspective, right? And then I think we could play out well, what does it mean for you to be, Charles, you to be suggesting that AI knows us this way or to be suggesting that the virus knows humans in these ways? As you say, if we have the uncertainty and the invitation to try out how the two hypotheses work, we get some really interesting, different results, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So good. So a couple other things that stand out. There's a, a fair amount of repetition uh, yep. in the narration, right? Some of the key phrases, air, airborne, noises, boxes, streams, that phrase more and more and more. What do you make of that sort of repetition? Do you see that as sort of contributing to the narrator's, you know, knowledge of humans, or is it more just like, okay, recording these things without a lot of self-awareness? Right. I do think that repetition has to do with the automatic nature of the telling or the impression of the telling being just a recording of people's search terms. Mm-hmm. So there is that quality that... yeah comes through because of the repetitiousness of the of the narration. At the same time, there is also a counterpoint to that in the form of these commentaries that you discussed just now. So, you know, they have weaknesses. That is not something that, I mean, yeah. that is something that seems to go against the grain of the automatic yeah, right. quality of the... Right. Somehow a reg- so registering a of the internet searches and that gets translated, there's... There is exactly. this kind of active interpreting of these yes. of many things, but I think you're right to say also to say that some of them do seem automatic, right? So the, you know, Harry and Megan, Harry and William, you know, or Bean Dip, you know, like okay, I'm just recording these things that are being searched, and there's no commentary on that. But exactly. Then we, then we there's get a this. sense of randomness that yeah. is also thematized to some extent, but yeah. these, especially early on, we see, you know, the Super Bowl reference. Uh, that is maybe meant to position the story, the timeline right. in a certain way. But there is a clear crescendo in the text, I would say, with more randomness early on and then yeah. more of a focus on COVID and its effects. And of course, that also reflects how people's attention was yeah. was captured by, by COVID and it was difficult to think about anything else. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah, no, that's that. nice, right. So in the um, beginning, we have this mix of the Super Bowl, yeah. the State of the Union, these kind of searches about the the Royals, and so on, and then it, exactly. it gets more focused. And towards the middle, it is really just COVID and its impact yeah. on yeah. human communities. Yeah, yeah, great. All right, and then I think you know the the obvious term to go to in terms of this perspective, right, is a kind of defamiliarization, mm-hmm. right? So, and some of these phrases like air and the way in which the different sort of meanings of air come through, we're getting uh, this 
sort of outside perspective on humans during COVID, right? So let's explore that a little bit in terms of like distance, right? So how, how, how much distance do you feel like the narrator has from the humans that they're talking about? I think quite a bit. And that is something that contributes to the emotional and ethical complexity mm-hmm. of the telling that we can maybe discuss later. But certainly there's a long history in science fiction of defamiliarizing basic bodily and human activities, like right. breathing in this case, also, you know, being inside a box for being at work or at home. Yeah. So this is a very distant yeah. take on on the human. What I find interesting, and that also seems to support the viral reading of the text, is that the human is repeatedly described through language that seems to point to viruses. So there is, for example, mm-hmm. a sense of human replication. So the work is to make more, yeah. again, evoking an analogy between humankind and viruses. Mm-hmm. There is also, of course, the focus on airborne travel with the yeah. word airborne being very loaded in the context of the pandemic. Of course, this is just, in a sense, this is a way of defamiliarizing air travel, but it's airborne and that seems to point to controversies right. surrounding how the virus itself moves around. So there is a blurring of ontological divides between the human and the viral, mm-hmm. which is, of course, part of the defamiliarization, but is also yeah. something that contributes to an emotional right. distance and estrangement as we read the text. Yeah, and in that regard, I mean, it might be, it's also, I think, interesting that the commentary on groups Mm -hmm. is a place where the narrator does distinguish between their community and that of humans, right? Humans make, they make these groups, right? Some of us are us and some of us are them. Right, mm-hmm. even though there's no difference genetically, right? right? Whereas we don't do this, right? So that you know that becomes a kind of you know again another juxtaposition, right? So some certain kind of sure. language that's emphasizing similarity, and then here's a kind of an explicit differentiation. Mm-hmm. So you know, I th- I guess you know, we're thinking about defamiliarization there and explicitness. We might ask, well, you know, what's you doing with that kind of differentiation? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think humanity comes across as caught between individualism, you know, with this image, which is I think a very powerful image of the boxes or mm-hmm. people isolated in their homes or wherever they are during lockdown. Yeah. So there's individualism, but there is also a a longing or a striving for the collective, and that is something that emerges very clearly towards the end when we read, you know, community yeah. is how it's solved or something like that. So uh, yeah. certainly the the narrator seems to have a stronger sense of belonging to a group in a fairly unproblematic unpl- way versus the yeah. human tendency to divide and create yeah, yeah, nice. yeah, racial, yeah, racial distinctions and yeah. social divides and things like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I was struck this time, I was struck by it before, but maybe he came out even stronger this time, the repetition mm-hmm. of that more and more and more, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, in one, one respect, I think you could say, okay, well, this is what the virus is trying to do. You know, that was one of the similarities there. Right. But there's also like this more and more and more 
without any point to it, right? It's mm -hmm. just like, you know, it seems to be, what do they work for? More and more and more. What do they do? More, you know, what's what's their purpose? More and more and more, but without any sort of tie to results, right? It's just like, let's keep increasing. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I don't think it's, you know, too far-fetched to, to read that as a, as a critique of, you know, neoliberal capitalism yeah. and attempt yeah. to produce more and more and more without a clear outcome or yeah. something that right. is really meaningful at the end of the process, right? right. And yeah, in that yeah. sense, humans are quite virus-like as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there, and that, that then ties, ties into some of the, the ethical um, mm -hmm. dimension that, that we'll get to and that I know you're interested in. But I guess in. part of the defamiliarization here has to do with the fact that you know humans seem to think that they are driven by goals and, and mm -hmm. ambitions and purposes and aspirations and so on and so forth but active actually from the virus's perspective or from the narrator's perspective there is just pattern right yeah. so it's, yeah. it's actually something that humans are not fully conscious of that yeah. that drives them yeah. in more or less the same way as as viruses tend to replicate by nature yeah. yeah yeah good good Maybe just before we go to the ethical dimension and the affective dimension, mm -hmm. we're just a little bit more on the narration by taking a look at you know one of the a specific passage. So mm -hmm. we get the narrator describing humans saying, their movements seem random at first, but study their movements and it becomes clear that the systems have patterns. Sunlight brings them out of their small boxes they move together in streams, massive streams, sometimes traveling quite far from their home boxes to hubs or centers where they collect in large boxes. So just, again, the idea that there's some kind of similarity between the virus mm -hmm. and human movement and so on, and maybe even something about the way the story itself works, so the narration works as a pattern or set of patterns. What are your thoughts? Absolutely. Yeah, especially thinking about the, the beginning with these references that we discussed to the Super Bowl, State of the Union address, Meghan and Harry. All of this seems quite arbitrary or random at first, yeah. but then the pattern of COVID starts emerging more and more clearly for the reader. So in a sense, this statement also works as a meta-commentary on how the story itself functions. Yeah. The larger point here about with the narration and this meta commentary and so on is the way in which there's a sort of surface simplicity to it, yeah, and yet it sort of generates all this readerly activity of absolutely sort of sense making and so on. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it would make sense to talk about naive defamiliarization, which is your term, of course, Jim, for for this type of narrative situation. But there is a sense of simplicity, as you said, that emerges from from the telling. Yeah. Although I think the ethics is, is more complicated than it tends to be in child narration, for example, which mm -hmm. I think would be a good example of naive defamiliarization. Yeah. Because it is true that this is simplifying, but it simplifies in a way that, you know, sidelines the emotional impact of many of the things that are happening around the characters mm -hmm. or humanity. And of course, that can be seen as ethically problematic but i guess we'll discuss that in a bit yeah let's go for it okay um, great yeah we've already talked about this juxtaposition of recording and interpreting mm -hmm. and so on 
there's not a lot of explicit ethical evaluation by the narrator. And, right. But yet, I think we both feel there's this strong ethical dimension to the mm-hmm. story. Sure. And then this is part of what, you know, I think you is inviting the audience, his readers, to to do. All right, well, mm-hmm. fill in the ethical gaps in a way. Sure, sure. And, we, and we've touched on it to some degree, but where would you like to go? To, to yeah, I'm thinking in particular of this passage, which I think is, in a way, the emotional climax of the story. Many of them die. When they die, mm-hmm. they stop pushing air. When they die, they do not search for things anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, so first... This really reminded me of Virginia Woolf's To the Lighthouse, especially the Time Passes Time section passes, yeah. in that text, where the protagonist, Mrs. Ramsey, uh, dies in a parenthetical sentence. Right. And the narrator very quickly moves on without seemingly doing justice to such an important event from, from the reader's perspective. Yeah, right, right. So the protagonist's death is kind of brushed aside. And I think something similar is happening here, of course, not in a personal or individual level, more on a collective mm. level, but some readers might find this defamiliarizing description of, of death disturbing because it is so emotionless, right? right. It is such a distanced take on, right. on mass death that it can be quite unsettling. Of course, another, at least part of me, finds this type of de- depiction reassuring as well in that it sort of presents death as something biological, mechanical, sort of defamiliarizing our, or the emotions that surround mortality. Mm-hmm. But I think it is the combination of these affects yeah. Uh, yeah. that I find particularly striking here. So, and, and that is also a point about, about ethics, because mm-hmm. it seems to me that this is a story that dwells in ethical uncertainty and it does so precisely by juxtaposing such an emotionally and historically significant event as COVID. Yeah. And this very defamiliarizing, distanced, right, the distance. narrative voice, right. if it is a voice, perspective. Right. And uh, again, this idea of the, of the perspective, right? So here, I like that you're thinking about this as an emotional core, because I think mm-hmm. here, just to pick up on what you were saying about the flatness of it right mm-hmm. but also the perspective sure. right so and then the gap between the virus's perspective or the narrator's perspective and a reader's perspective right what what signifies dying for this narrator mm-hmm. right when they die they do not search for things anymore right mm-hmm. that that i mean and from their perspective right you, we see the logic of that because that's what sure. they've been plugged into so much right mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. but to sum up the significance of a death in terms of okay they don't search for anything any things for anymore mm-hmm. right for i think it's quite jarring it's jarring right. for me anyway i think it's jarring for a lot of readers of and then it gets a kind of emotional force because of that sure. that, that, that gap yeah and of course, that also has to do with realizing the double meaning of search in this context, which is, as you said, about yeah. online searches, but it's also about desire, something that yeah. defines yeah. being yeah. alive, right? Yeah. So I think, I don't know if that is fully intended on, on the narrator's part, right. but it's, it's right. definitely intended on you's part. Exactly, right. Yeah, uh, no, I, yeah. I'd be inclined to say not, not on the narrator's part, but yeah, uh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, good. 
So maybe when we could talk a little bit about the arc, right, the emotional arc from beginning to middle to end. We've already talked a little bit about the, you know, what seems random at first and then the variety of things that are uh, occupying humans and then the focus on the virus itself and all that. And then maybe we could bring into that discussion a little bit of the ending right, yeah. where we have the shift from the present tense to the future mm -hmm. and then the idea you know systems will be systems some of them may change the systems etc some things will not change they will need each other like each other miss each other they mm -hmm. will have weaknesses and strengths they ask themselves harry and megan what now harry and megan what next and so we have this kind of return to the beginning but also a return to the more superficial and what's occupying celebrity news and, and things like that, right? So sure, sure. do you see that as a kind of positive or? Uh, I would say, at least on a surface level, it is a helpful ending. Mm -hmm. But of course, it's not, there is some unease, I would say, when Meghan and Harry come up again in the ending. Yeah. Of course, the, the reference signals a return to normality to a time when you know there is no emergency people are free to worry about completely trivial things but at the same time i'm not sure this is not actually meant to critique our tendency to cling to whatever facade of normality we can get yeah. go back to where we started without fully processing what just happened yeah. so that's where it becomes a bit more complicated i would say than than just a happy ending yeah. uh, because that circularity also indicates that you know not much has happened yeah. and implicitly that seems to expose our tendency to sideline what happened right sideline yeah of, and the, of uh, the pandemic you know yeah just move on without fully right. doing justice to the events. Yeah, and going back to making more and more and more. Exactly, um, yeah. 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 Yes. So there is a sense of hope, but there is some disquiet that goes yeah. with uh, yeah. with hope, I would say. Yeah, yeah. And they, also interesting in the emphasis there, you know, some may change the systems, but then there's the folk the the emphasis really is on the returning right. returning to the systems they'll you know absolutely they'll, they'll, they'll go back yeah. to airborne yeah it's travel. not clear what the change really is and this reference yeah. to community yeah. seems aspirational more than anything else yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. yeah it's quite a utopian ending but there is of course more than enough dystopia in it exactly <laughs> right yeah, maybe that leads us to the question about genre, right? You yeah, referenced yeah. science fiction before. Now you've brought in the idea of utopia, dystopia. How do you see it in terms of genre terms? Yeah, I think in terms of audiences, I don't think you is addressing a science fiction audience uh -huh. specifically, at least based on the publication context, which might lead to you know responses they're quite different from what a typical science fiction audience would say when reading the story so for example this defamiliarizing so, device science uh, science fiction for non-science fiction specialists in a way yes absolutely and the defamiliarization at work here is quite predictable i would say 
um, uh-huh. it's not something that will strike a science fiction reader as as anything new. So then the question might be, well, what is it? Is it specifically these kind of conventional things, the non-human, the distant perspective, the defamiliarization, not so much in the sense of, okay, formally innovative because we've yeah. seen it done before, but maybe then the question would be a, a kind of judgment of the effectiveness of it for right. giving a take on the pandemic. And especially maybe we could say in July 2020, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that this, this is... Yeah, we have to put it in context. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. 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 I think... There's a there's quite a few science fiction texts that play with AI mm-hmm. narration. What stands out, at least to me here, is what we discussed as the combination of evaluation and the more impersonal, objective mm-hmm. recording element to the narration, because that seems to to be quite different from more anthropomorphic takes on AI in science fiction, where the AI has a distinct voice. So that kind of anthropomorphism is certainly present here, but less marked. Okay. And I think in large part that is because of the fragmentary nature of, of the narrative with these snippets of text, these search mm-hmm. terms that keeps the narrative from projecting what we can read as a coherent voice. But of course there are the moments of commentary where you know this right. is, it is a little more coherent. Different. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that again, they go back to that juxtaposition. Yeah, but it, I think this is part of what makes the narrator of you story so convincing for me. The tendency to avoid a straightforward anthropomorphization of the mm-hmm. AI or the narrator, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, yeah. I was there. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's good. All right. Well, maybe as we come to the end, maybe we could speculate a little bit. So this was do- published in July 2020, as we said. It's now. Mm-hmm. May 2023, <laughs> what do you think its life will be like? I mean, what, what, what would it be like to read it? You know, we're speculating, right? But 10 years yeah. from now, 20 years from now. Sure. I think three years after, it holds up pretty well. It's, yeah. Know, it's, it gave us a lot to talk about. And <laughs> I think it's a very interesting take on the early days of the pandemic. I think but, that points to something that we didn't discuss, at least not fully, but the reader's role in okay. uh, filling in the gaps uh-huh. here because, yeah. you know, all of this seems so familiar and recognizable to us because we have this more or less shared experience yeah. of going through the lockdown, the rising numbers, all of right. these things right. that are right. implicitly right. evoked by the story, never really made explicit or spelled out. And I think that is maybe a way of immersing the reader more. I think mm-hmm. the, the gappiness of the text, all of Yeah, the, and just these little fragmentary references then that we we can fill in because it's we, been our experience. We have these memories and we yeah, yeah. project these memories onto the text. But of course, as you said, that brings up the question, what is going to happen 50 years from now or 20 years from now or whenever when yeah. hopefully we won't have these memories or at least they won't be as fresh as they are right. now. So how is... <laughs> right, this text right. going to be, yeah, uh, going to be read. Yeah, well, we remember Harry and Meghan. <laughs> you know? Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, and I think there is a wave of COVID novels coming out, and some of them are already out. Right, on, right. 
I think about Hani Ayanagihara's To Paradise, which is another dystopian text, at least in the third part. I don't know if you've read that one, but I have not yet. No. it imagines a world where it's not just about a single pandemic. It's really waves and waves of pandemics yeah. that shape human societies, right? Yeah, yeah. And that is a fairly bleak take. And that would seem to suggest that, you know, a reader 50 years from now, if that is true, right. I don't know. The novelists are particularly good at predicting the future. But if yeah. she's right, Yana Gihara is right about that, then a reader 50 years from now will certainly recognize these experiences of being in boxes yeah. <laughs> yeah. and the lockdown and right, right. the numbers yeah. and so on yeah. and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right, well, <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. We but don't know. Right. Hope, right. We can only know, speculate. We still hope right, that right. Yeah. maybe one day one reader will. We'll read this text and, and say something like, what is you talking about? What are these boxes? Yeah. What, is, what, is, what is a lockdown? <laughs> right, right. And they'll have, to, they'll have to do research of a kind that we don't have to do. When we, when we, yeah. 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 Okay. Sure. Well, thank you very much, Marco. Thank um, you, Jim. That was great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. And uh, I also want to thank our listeners and to say we'd appreciate your feedback. You can send it to us at projectnarrative at osu.edu or on our Facebook page, or to our Twitter account. We're at PN Ohio State. And I also want to say you can find numerous additional podcasts at the Project Narrative website or on Apple Podcasts. See you next month.